0: Welcome to Speaking of Strong Style, where we discuss the news, events, and issues surrounding new Japan pro wrestling. We have all three of them to talk about this week. I'm Stephen Conway. With me, as always, is Jeremy Finestone. We are contributors to the Fight Game Media Network, and uh, we're happy to have you watching us back here again, our first show post Wrestle Kingdom 17. And, you know, Jeremy, once again, I thought we were going to have a nice quiet week. There weren't any shows (laughs) after New Year's Dash. We had Dash. We were going to talk about Dash, but we had six days to contemplate it and mull it over in our heads and look at this schedule. And I just thought, well, this would be a nice, leisurely program today. And what do we get today (laughs) instead? A dump truck
1: backed up into our peripheral news feed of everything that you could possibly want to talk about. So, hey, happy Tuesday. We have a bunch of stuff to talk
0: about. We have a lot to talk about, as it turns out. So filling the time is no problem at all. We're going to be in a rush again to get through all this. But let's start with the number one thing. Uh, First of all, Jeremy, have you gotten some sleep? We did this show slap happy as hell a week ago barely on running on coffee then we did the fight game media podcast with garrett gonzalez the next day so we were like up in the middle of the night watching dash as well and doing all that do you feel okay how how are you going into this one
1: uh i actually did a little bit of extra duty i i joined uh undeniable and unplugged with jesse velasquez uh on nice. a podcast talking about new japan pro wrestling yesterday so check that out so i've uh I've been going and going and going. I kind of feel like the Energizer battery bunny right now, but uh, we'll uh, we'll see a destination in destination in mind. But uh, it's not today, and it will not be next week.
0: <laughs> so we're going to run down New Year's Dash match by match uh, a little bit later in the program. But we have to fast forward a little bit to one angle that took place at the show, which is, of course, Jay White lost the IWGP World Heavyweight title to Kazuchika Okada in the main event at Wrestle Kingdom 17. We all know that. The next day at New Year's Dash, he was continuing to play his despondent part of his character, and he did this when he lost Kota Ibushi where he did a job on New Year's Dash to Tomohiro Ishii and had to regroup and think about things for a while, and he played all that up. We thought we were getting something similar to that. And then he attacks Hikaleo with a chair. So his post-match press conference with Okada was interesting because he was just, like I mentioned, utterly despondent, depressed, sad. And then he worked himself up to blaming Hikaleo for it, basically saying that everything was going great until Hikaleo turned his back on Bullet Club. So he was going to go right to the source of the problem and attack Hikaleo. Okay, decent angle. Fair enough. He attacks Ikaleo with a chair at New Year's Dash. Then he throws in something that I didn't expect at the time, which is, let's have a match where the loser has to leave Japan. Basically, you know, loser leaves town match. Now, that took me aback. And I thought, well...
1: let's be clear about this. It is a leave Japan, not leave New Japan match.
0: That's critical, isn't it? Because I just thought, (laughs) with all this stuff going on in North America, maybe one of these two were going to go back and kind of lead the charge there. So I thought, oh, this could really go either way in a way, because at first I thought they just brought Hikaleo back from New Japan strong. Would they really just kick him back over there? Well, maybe, but it seemed odd uh, quite a statement would be if Jay had to go over there for a length of time and maybe they were going to give Jay a run on top with some sort of North American thing. And then, you know, maybe they're going to be working with the ring of honor and AEW and my mind's going all over the place. Right. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, this could actually go either way, which is kind of fun because like you mentioned, it didn't say leave new Japan. It just said, leave Japan. So all kinds right. of doors open. Then we hear that Hikuleo was being looked at by WWE Okay, that kind of makes sense. Hikaleo, very you can't teach height. And in WWE, he's the kind of guy that WWE might like. He does have charisma. He's not all the way there yet in the ring, but I think he's going to get there. And certainly having people not ready for national television doesn't stop WWE from throwing them on anyway. So I thought, okay, well, maybe so. Then what do we get today, Jeremy? We hear that Jay White might be leaving New Japan Pro Wrestling and that his contract might be up. I'm dizzy. I mean, what it comes down to is that this match, which is coming up, one of them could be gone. Both of them could be gone. What are you? I mean, and we don't know either one for sure. So where's your head at uh, as we try to wrap our brains around this idea of Jay White, Hikaleo, and uh, perhaps a future with both one or neither of them?
1: The other person that you have to keep in mind in all this is uh, Tamatonga who has also been involved in some uh, discussions, rumors, inquiries, perhaps that he might be uh, wanting to go stateside as well. So you take into account, he got Tamatonga, Hikaleo, both kind of rumored. Where does that leave Tangalella He's injured. He's got a knee injury. He's been out since last summer. Does he have injury time? Is that going to play a factor into his brother's decisions to go forward with another promotion? Uh, Do they wait for him? Do they do another year and just kind of figure out the timetable so that they all can go together? Maybe it's a package deal. There's stuff to keep in mind with that. Now, when you get to Jay White, he is a completely different level of uh, wrestler and quantity in pro wrestling, and a conversation in another itself. If he were to go to WWE, it would be a completely different, like changing of the game. He would be main event level, the kind of guy that would like. I wouldn't even have a blink an eye you, if he were you to sure be about that? Seth Rollins. Like well, Jay White, I, absolutely. Well,
0: no, no, no. You know that I think talent wise, he's absolutely there. Do I think yes. WWE would consider him a main event level wrestler? I'm not. Con- I'm not convinced. They, they I, would, I would, I would
1: look at him. I would look they at made him. Jonah, Mrs. Lackey. I would look at him with getting an entrance larger than AJ Styles at the Royal Rumble in 2016. And with, mm-hmm. with what's going on right now is the big X factor. So we're talking about WWE at a time where we're not sure what it's going to be looking like in the next week. month. We don't even know who's in charge. So <laughs> it is pretty wildly it would be pretty wild to uh consider a business transaction with the company with that right now when you don't even know where you would stand with the people you're negotiating with as a contract here now in six months i say or if the people
0: you're negotiating with are even going to have their jobs in a couple of months
1: 100 wait six months if you're if you're done within the next three months see the lay of the land figure it out like see what AEW has to offer you. Jay White's done Impact Time. Hey, if he wants to show up in NOAA and do something there for, like, a, a couple of spots, that would probably do great business for the Wrestle Universe uh, viewing app such as that. So um, I don't think WWE is the only game in town right now. I think he would do well there, but I'm not necessarily sure that that should be the place he ends up. I think he would probably fit in better in AEW personally. I think he is a main event caliber, something that they're missing. Uh, A different kind of heel than MJF if you were. Uh, Someone who's somewhat untouchable, but way more uh, capable and competent in the ring uh, to fans to deliver a five-star match, if that is the thing that you're looking for, some some measurable quantity. Uh, MJF is an entertaining property and he'll probably be there, but Jay White is already there, kind of thing. So, I think aew would probably have a better uh, a better fit for him, but I do think that if WWE were to have the best possible outcome, he would do very well there as well. What do you think?
0: I would love to see Jay and say that Jay will do well in WWE, but their capacity to miss on what should be sure things is staggering. There are mm-hmm. people in WWE who should have been main event guys that they did virtually nothing with and i don't see an enormous difference in the way uh triple h books versus the way vince booked quite yet uh, and it's mm-hmm. it's still fairly early and we may never get to find out as it turns out since vince might be uh coming back in a, with uh probably the redefining the idea back with a vengeance because i think that's literally what it's going to, to be sure so, with that in mind, does Vince McMahon think Jay White is a main eventer? Which might be the more important question, even though mm-hmm. Paul Levesque is currently a head of creative, and that I'm really not convinced. I'm not convinced Vince. I Man's would agree the with different. you
1: 100. And reading and the of so Vince McMahon, if not the guy.
0: Jay White has a WWE connection, though. In this, before he was a wrestler, he won a contest to go to WrestleMania in Los Angeles as a kid in New Zealand. So as a kid in New Zealand, he got to make a trip out to Los Angeles to go to WrestleMania in person. And that was one of the things that, I mean, I think he, was he went there. to he was WrestleMania 21 yeah i think so and 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 he went, I went to wrestlemania
1: and, 21 <laughs> yeah
0: i think it was 21 yeah and and so he yeah. he went out there and he won this trip and that was one of the reasons there's more than that that he wanted to be a pro wrestler so wow. after seeing that maybe there's something in him that just thinks boy i'd like to work at wrestlemania i've done WrestleKing. i've main evented wrestle kingdom a couple of times maybe i'd want to go and do this it's Very possible that he would get lost in the shuffle in WWE. It's very possible he would get lost in the shuffle of AEW because God knows Tony Khan has about 8,000 people, it seems like, under contract, rolling around out there. And uh, Jeff Jarrett's getting television time, so I don't know what the hell's going on with that sometimes. But it's uh, you know what, this is all me being this is all me being. This is all me being selfish. Jay White is my favorite heel in wrestling. MJF's fantastic. Uh, Roman Reigns and The Bloodline are on a wonderful run. And and there's a and what I'm saying is there are a lot of good heels. Jay White is my favorite one. And selfishly, I want to see him play this out in New Japan. I want to see him have the run with Kenny Omega for either for Bullet Club Supremacy or just because you've got to kill your idols, right? You know, the... Uh, there's just so many layers of things that are still for Jay White to do in new Japan. And I want to see him because I think he's one of the great big match wrestlers ever. If he goes to WWE, frankly, I worry for him. I worry it's going to end up like Jonah, where he's going to be somebody's lackey, or he's going to be doing something stupid. Or it could be like, you know, like Ricochet who should have been a camp miss and is, and is having a decent career, but not the one I thought Ricochet should have. And, Maybe it won't happen. Maybe he'll do great there. Maybe he'll be a main event guy. I would love that for him. Selfishly, I want to see my guy where he has been shining the most lately, and that's in, in New Japan. So, you know, who knows? Uh, it's, it's something that's still to come. And to be honest, Jeremy, you, you, we were talking about this a little bit off air. We don't actually know that he's out of contract, do we?
1: Yes. That was, there was, that was the next step of this. It's like 2021, it was reported that he had a five-year contract. Every year since then, he has hinted, teased, trolled the internet in some way, shape, or form, and gotten someone to bite that he might leave and go somewhere else. He does live stateside. All of these things all line up to make you think, yes, this could possibly happen. Mm -hmm. Do I think that his contract is up within the next year? No, I don't. I do think... The Jay White Ruckle got Reckle Kingdom 18. What do you think?
0: I would love it. I hope so. I hope this is all part of Just it. Just gut and feeling.
1: It, gut feeling. And it, it,
0: yeah, I mean, yeah, I think so because yeah. I, I agree with you on that. And I also think that Hikuleo is actually probably a better fit for WWE for what they do than maybe what, how they would portray Jay White. Again, this is not to do with the man's clearly as talented as anybody in that company. I worry about the creative. And that's the point. I think H- Hikuleo and maybe the Gorillas of Destiny make a lot of sense for WWE. I thought the Gorillas of Destiny would be a good WWE tag team a couple of years ago after they were, frankly, before this babyface turn, which has been very good for Tama Tonga, I thought Gorillas of Destiny were stale. I thought they'd done everything they could do, really. And I thought maybe it's time for them to go to WWE and see uh, and, and have a run with teams like you know the New Day and the Usos and uh you know, pretty deadly against Gorillas desty would be interesting. Like there's some there are some great tag teams in WWE and that could use some fresh opponents and things, but so maybe that's where Hikuleo and the guys are going. Perhaps, don't know. Uh yeah. all of this is supposition, but it seems like New Japan is pretty sure they're losing one or both of them because, again, they're hedging. I believe, it definitely
1: feels like they're hedging.
0: I believe New Japan when they make a stipulation.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think I think that's happening. I'm going to go back to a couple more points on this real quick. Please, I do have confidence with WWE and their ability to position former members of, or former leaders of the Bullet Club in prominent you have finn bauer at the front of judgment day i know rhea yeah. ripley is more positioned as, as the leader but finn bauer is 100 front and center in that show on, on that stable and protected immensely you have yeah, aj true. who was with the og club and they were building their own stable before he broke his uh ankle you know yeah. like you could argue kenny omega is the leader of the elite and he is protected immensely over in aew so whatever his options are Given his pedigree and resume within wrestling and New Japan, I'm confident he's going to be fine. The other thing I'm going to m- mention is, uh, is Hikaleo. I watched him in the tag match on Strong, part of, the, part of the Strong review that we did later on. I, I watched him. I thought, hmm, how would he be like in WWE? And all I saw all of a sudden was Diesel. I just saw a Hicaleo version of Diesel. Oh no! <laughs> Come on, Tana be nice to the guy. And he's Tonga he's a talented Tonga. guy. Don't don't no, Kevin but, Nash. But, no, but you could. But he could carry him around and be that heavy. That that kind of oh, okay. William Morrissey, big cast kind of like the guy okay. that you just like. He will wreck you once you get in the ring with him. And I and I think that there is almost more power of the Tongian all coming in together and and debuting that way and being strong as a unit rather than one by one by one piecemeal because uh their impact would be much stronger as a group so beginning of the year we're gonna find out in about three weeks who's leaving japan maybe they both are uh i'm not ready to make a prediction just yet because i do not want to eat humble pie but yeah, I am definitely I curious about where this is going, and and who who who's getting the na na hey 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 goodbye.
0: The match was intriguing to begin with before all these rumors about WWE and AEW came out, because again, we believe New Japan when they make a stipulation. We're like, one of these guys is. Le- they just brought Hikuleo. Does that mean J? You know, it's intriguing anyway. This just adds to the to the uh, adds to the supposition. So. Uh, before we move on to new year's dash we're going to run down new year's dash there were a lot of angles on new year's dash this year jeremy they were busy out there and we're going to get to those
1: every single thing mattered
0: yeah it was great i really enjoyed it we're going to get to all that but i first i want to make a couple of shout outs here which we haven't done before but over the last few weeks and and we're 20 some episodes in which seems amazing It, it feels like we just started but uh, there are a few people who have uh, made comments on the uh, YouTube uh, page there for us and just wanted to thank them first of all thank everybody that's watching it it really is thank you so uh, something that me some, it really means a lot to us but there are a few and per- particularly there's Colin Matthew uh, he always has great questions terrific comments uh, I believe he's from the UK I think he I think he had the phrase here in the UK in one of them. So, uh, Colin, uh, much, (laughs) we, 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 yeah, we really enjoy hearing from you and, uh, always enjoy, uh, what you have to say about, uh, wrestling in general and the show. So thank you so much for watching us week after week. Uh, Terry weekly, uh, Simeon windeth. And if I mispronounce any of these, I I apologize. I don't have a way of hearing them pronounced, but I'm going to do my best. Uh, Dunstan Williams, uh, a username, Mike Lynn eight, uh, but I believe is Sean Rouge, Cyan Rouge, uh, Peter Davis, uh, Poet Tate. All of you, thank you so much for your comments and uh, questions. And uh, we just really enjoy doing this show, and uh, the feedback makes it even better for us. So, before I moved on to New Year's Dash, and as we begin this twenty twenty three uh, of uh, speaking of strong style, I definitely wanted to give a shout out to all of those who supported us. So, thanks.
1: I, uh, I just want to follow up. I am blown away by the legitimately honest and kind feedback. It is yeah. so hard, easy to be mean and critical in a way <laughs> that is unhelpful. And if there has been feedback that we need to learn from, uh, you've been nothing but supportive and helpful. And I cannot express to you my thanks enough as we have gotten this show under our belts and get a little bit more experience to get better at this that we deliver a show that you uh, you have enjoyed and you continue to come back to. So thank you you are our motivation to keep going and so we shall.
0: Absolutely. So let's get to this New Year's dash show. So it was at the Oda War Gymnasium, 2713 people showed up to see it and it was an eventful dash, you know. Some of these pandemic dashes have been a little more pedestrian, this one was not. They were ready for this one. They had some interesting stuff for us. And we're just going to run it down. Uh, can't spend a whole lot of time on all the matches, but we definitely want to get to the highlights. First one was Evil, Yujiro Takahashi and Dick Togo, of course, the never open way champions. Mm-hmm. Uh, they defeated Tomawaki Honma, Ren Narita, and Tiger Mask in the first uh, match. Now, that wasn't the the story here. Uh, it was pretty much standard match, which was it was fine. But they attacked Ren Narita afterwards, <laughs> and our first surprise of the night happened in the very first match who, of all people, came out to help Ren Narita as he was being attacked by House of Torture. A knight in shining armor. <laughs> Minoru Suzuki. And then, of course, as they, they still had the numbers advantage, so they were working over Suzuki, El Desperado came out, so he is maintaining his loyalty with his uh, former Suzuki goon mentor right there. Uh, This is not, so far, so far, not Narita joining a faction, but there it is, Jeremy. That's a team... Uh, that is going to challenge Evil, Yujiro, and Dick Togo for the Never Openweight Six-Man Tag Team titles. We're going to be seeing that match coming up. And, well, I mean, it's uh, there's a lot of that. It makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? And Ren Narita and Suzuki might uh, have some similar philosophies on things as far as uh, you know their characters in terms of wrestling and and just the uh, <laughs> torturing your opponents for one thing, the holds, the blows. Uh, it makes a lot of sense, and it's uh, certainly an intriguing tri- uh, trio there, don't you think?
1: Red Narita getting the rub from um, Merch Mover Despy and Minoru Suzuki. <laughs> he uh, definitely, we are firmly in the Young Lions 2.0. Let's we'll get these guys up in a place of prominence. Everybody has a different pathway of moving up the card. Uh, we had Samcha on a couple weeks ago, and he mentioned that there was maybe you know someone from an outside organization challenging for the never six man titles but this seems like a really interesting way to go forward and uh and move those titles into a direction that's been kind of stagnating in a while and i will tell you we watched this new year's dash and we had the mystery vortex show Can i tell (laughs) you how much i was just like my heart sank about this show when the first match was house of torture i was like oh no oh oh is this gonna be oh, just okay and then you watch it and house of torture wins and then you know the show's just going off the rails in a completely fun way because hanma uh, and tiger mask are both out of the ring and arena's getting beaten up and then all of a sudden Faith minora suzuki coming out to clean the house and you're like okay, you know, you want, you want to get behind Minoru Suzuki and do that? This is one way to do it. And Desperado, and then you're just looking around, it's like, these three amigos, they're not just four guys, but they'll do to me.
0: That's <laughs> just four guys. i tell you what, nobody does a transition like Jeremy Feinstone, folks. Uh, we're we're going to go into the next match, which involves that very thing. So we had Taichi, Yoshinobu, Kanemaro, and Doki. Now, they defeated the United Empire, Will Ospreay, TJP, and Francesco Akira. So this is uh, not a surprise in that the junior heavyweight tag team champions, TJP and Akira, are going to be facing Kanemaro and Doki. Kanemaro and Doki got the win over them during the junior tag league. They've actually snuck in a couple of preview tag wins over the champions. So uh, getting the win here uh, with Doki pinning Akira uh, just goes to build that tag team title match that I still think United Empire is going to win. I, I don't see Doki and Kanemaru getting, but uh, Doki and Kanemaro are getting a little bit of a push here as their title match comes up. We also saw uh, Will Ospreay and Taichi brawl after this one, and that's going to lead to a grudge match between the two. So, uh, again, uh, setting up things for the future. We already know that Kanemaro and Doki are, cl- are uh, challengers to the junior tag team titles, and then we have Taichi and Will giving uh, Will something to do as he recovers from his devastating loss to Omega. What did you think of this?
1: Uh, I was pretty shocked when it was United Empire coming out. And not only was it United Empire, it was Will coming out with with the two. And it all served a storyline purpose. Uh, Will came out looking completely beat to shit from the night before. Still wearing the jacket of the one-winged angel yeah. just still like he's hanging on to everything he won't let it go he's coming out there he's despondent he's just like i'm contractually obligated to do this so let's, right. let's, let's go do this all right fine and he comes out there and taichi just kind of gets his goat a little bit and just kind of remotivates him and all of a sudden you know it's like you see a little glimmer of the an undepressed will and he just wants to beat this guy's ass and you know what i'm here for it taichi has <laughs> been a low-key solid performer for years this is a great feud for will osprey to reheat um i have been on record saying that will osprey is going to have the kind of year that's going to be banner and he'll my bet is that he'll be main eventing wrestle kingdom 18 challenging for the title in some way shape or form and so, you know, you're going to be putting him with prominent guys all year round, winning or losing matches here or there, but ultimately winning feuds and getting close until he finally gets to be where it's at, and this is day one. So, like, a broken Will Osprey, this is, this is a great start to a year-long story. Taichi, I'm very curious to see if just four guys is where he ultimately ends up with his stable stuff. As for the junior heavyweight tag I am really leaning towards uh, a retention by Catch-2-2 as well, even though I think uh, Kanemaru and uh, Doki have just been low-key doing great work for about four or five months right now.
0: And we mentioned the just four guys thing. Takamichi uh, very Natalie-dressed, got on the microphone there and came out with Taichi, Kanemaro, and Doki, and these are four members of the former suzuki Goon and said that they have an, a group together themselves, and they're called Just For Guys. Just now, is that Just For Guys or Just For Guys? You know, and so we didn't see any Miho Abe out there with them, so maybe it is just the guy. I don't know. Maybe they're making some kind of... Uh, a little clever wordplay there, but it's a, it's an interesting name for the group. We'll see how that turns out. But it does seem like Takamichi Noko moving into a bit of a manager's role.
1: It's a little too casual and temporary for me to take it seriously.
0: Yeah, and he used to be the manager and a good one for uh, Zack Saber Jr. Remember, he used to do the mm-hmm. pre-match promo for Zach. Uh, Zach doesn't need that anymore, but maybe this one will turn out. We'll we'll be watching that as it goes on.
1: You know, maybe what they do is that they just have a really awful streak of of like a couple months, and then they're just like, you know what, we're breaking up, and then they all just kind of divide, but they needed this to kind of uh, delay everybody going immediately into whatever stable or faction that they have. Uh, You know, just kind of a temporary placeholder until they figure it all out. Early days. can't do it all at once, you know.
0: You mentioned Young Lion 2.0. We got a taste of that (laughs) in the next match. So, uh we mentioned the uh, matchup uh, Bolton Oleg uh, in the uh, Wrestle Kingdom uh, came out in without, did not have a shaved head. He did not have uh, black trunks, black boots did that exhibition with uh, Rio Heo Iwa. And uh, you know, it looked good. I mean, it certainly looked like a phenomenal athlete and it's way too early to tell what kind of pro wrestler he's going to be, but it's clear that he's not going the same route as all the young lions in the past. And, We've heard word that New Japan is not going to be doing the old Young Lion program for everyone the exact same way, going to see some new things. Well, here's another one. So we had uh, TMDK. So that was Zach Sabre Jr., Mike Nichols, Shane Haste coming off uh, them uh, bringing Zach into the fold at Wrestle Kingdom. And they defeated Chaos, which was Goto, Yoshihashi, and Tomohiro Ishii. And of course, this was to set up a couple of things. So for well, three things really. They got a lot done in this match, Jeremy. First of all, TMDK defeated Bishamon, who just won the tag team titles from FTR. So we have mm-hmm. right away new number one contenders for the IWGP Tag Team Titles. Tomohiro Ishii went right after Zack Saber Jr. and his new TV title. Third, after the match, Zack Saber Jr. brought in Kosei Fujita. Now, Fujita has helped Zach in storyline several times to trick House of Torture. He's come out dressed as Zach. He's done a few decoys. Take, take a breath
1: of water. I'll give you a context of some of the times. But he's done that.
0: Afterwards, <laughs> there it is Zach Saber Jr. brings Kosei Fujita up, gives him a t shirt, and says, I've got my own young boy now. And he's a member of TMDK. I thought this made perfect storyline sense and I thought it was, I thought it was really well done and I'm interested to see where it
1: goes. What did you think about it? Take a, take a breath of water. And I'm going to talk about my favorite uh, Kosei Fujita moment. And that look at the new Japan cup when Zack Sabre jr. Uh, was facing evil and they gave him the okie doke at the stage. And uh, Kosei Fujita was one of the young lions that uh, stood in for Zack jr until that Sabre Jr. was able to give him the the one-two, get the pin, and move on. And now he is a singles champion. Uh, Super big fan of the dynamic that they've had. They had a test run of this with uh, shooter Shota Umino and Moxley in a lot of ways. And so this is going to do a lot, I believe, to both harden Kosei Fujita and uh, give him a bit more prominence. Maybe uh, down the line, he might end up being uh, someone who's a contender in the junior heavyweight division. Uh, he is a smaller wrestler. So there are things aligning here that give him an opportunity and a pathway for success within, within TMDK, and he may end up being their uh, representative junior heavy single star for the foreseeable future. What say you?
0: I think it could, and and it's one of those things where – he can be a guy that can protect the heavyweights and take the falls and things like that. But it's a guy that's very talented. And I, I got a kick out of the fact that, Oiwa was out there kind of holding his hands up. I was like what I helped you too. And he did, <laughs> but uh Fuji is a little more Zach Saber jr-ish of the two of them, I think. So he's a better fit for TMDK. I'm curious to see where it goes. I think I always have a soft spot for the young lions, just because I think they all work very, very hard. they, really add things to the card as far as just that underdog you're just praying for one day you live long enough to see one of them win a match so i always have a soft spot for him so when uh fujita here joins tmdk i'm sure i'm going to be on his side but i think he's a talented guy so i could see him making a splash in the junior heavyweight division probably not this year i have a feeling he's probably going to be doing a lot of jobs still this year but he's he's a good he's a good
1: wrestler i think we're going to be hearing him he's definitely a guy that you want to take into consideration as a new entrant into the best of the super juniors this year, Uh, perhaps the TMDK representative as as such Uh, something I would, I would circle around the calendar and see how they feel about him come that time. Cause uh, even if he doesn't win a whole lot of matches, he definitely should be participatory in that, in that uh, tournament.
0: New Year's Dash was a rough day for champions, and that continued on in the next match, which was a six-man tag. No, it wasn't. It was an an eight-man tag, wasn't it? Pardon me. Uh, Togi Makabe, Shota Umino, Ryusuke Taguchi, and Yo defeated L.I.J. That was Naito, Sanada, uh, Hiromu Takahashi, and Bushi. And the finish came with Yo pinning Hiromu, so if you wondered who the next uh, contender for the junior heavyweight title was. That question was answered. And of course we saw another chapter in this Shota Umino Naito feud where these guys just seemed to get under each other's skin just enough to piss each other off. And we so we saw more of that. This was a really good match actually. This was one of the better matches of the night uh, under the radar there. I mean, I mean there's a lot of good workers in it but uh, I think this match was uh, terrific. So we're going to be seeing a singles match, a special singles match Shota and Naito which should be fun. I am curious to see if this is going to be yet another loss to a top guy or if is actually going to get a win over a top guy in in this one. And then, uh, Yo, I don't see Yo beating Hiromu Takahashi by any sense of anybody, any stretch of imagination, but it'll be a good match. Yo, we've talked about it, might be a little charismatically challenged at times, and that's a fair criticism of him. I don't doubt his ability at all. And we saw when he made that run in the best of the Super Juniors all the way to the finals that when he's in a big match, he can deliver a really good match. So I think Hiromu's going to keep his belt, but Hiroma versus Yo going forward will be uh, fun to watch.
1: I am circling the anniversary show on March, I think March 5th or March 6th as the uh, day to look at who's going to be the junior heavyweight champion and who's going to be the IWGP World heavyweight champion, and I do kind of see Hiromu and Okada as the most attractive marquee match that you can have, yes, absolutely, uh, at that time. So, this is all kind of placeholder to me until then. If you wanted to do uh, yo and Okada, that would be curious, but yeah, uh, I, wouldn't, like want like it, I wouldn't want to, I wouldn't want to. I'm I'm just being diplomatic here. I'm I'm playing at both ends. Uh, I do think that the timing of this is very interesting because uh, I'm going to beat this drum again. I think that there is a window here between Hiromu, Leo Rush, and Yo, in which they'll all kind of be feuding around each other. And the fact that Yo is getting a title shot before Leo Rush. Yes, Leo Rush is injured, but this is all kind of. What do you got? What do you got? It's killing me.
0: I have a question for you that we, it's an unanswerable question because they're not going to okay. tell us. If Leo Rush doesn't get his head busted open at Wrestle Kingdom, is this his spot?
1: No. I think Yo would still win and Leo would be like, bro, I wanted that, you know, and it would be like a tension thing. Ah. And then it would just kind of build and simmer from there.
0: So you think you think Taguchi was in Leo Rush's spot where Taguchi slid into this match where Leo would have been? Okay,
1: okay, I think that that that's entirely a reasonable thing. Leo has been doing great. I think, I think the ultimate goal is getting the Junior Heavyweight title onto Leo Rush in some way, shape, or form, and it's going to be a slow build thing that has started from october when he showed up at the rumble at 44th the halloween whatever whatever night of those two that he showed up at and appeared to aid yo going into the super junior tag league with the hints of affiliation and friendliness with the united empire this right here going on with yo getting a shot against romu takahashi for the title leo being interested there's all something there uh it may not, it may be a picture that I'm only seeing, but I'm very curious, and I'm wondering if and when the trigger is pulled and how how well it is executed. That's where I'm at.
0: All right, the next match <clears throat> involves the uh, angle we talked about with Hikuleo and Jay White. So we pretty much recapped this earlier. It was uh, Hiroshi Tanahashi, Tamatanga, Hikuleo, and Master Wato. They defeated the Bullet Club, made up of Jay White, Kenta, Taiji Ishimori, and El Fantasma, by disqualification when Jay basically. Disqualification. Won, uh, some- and laid out uh, Leo <laughs> with a chair. <clears throat> Kenta went after <clears throat> Hiroshi Tanahashi, so he has uh, designs on avenging that uh, hardcore match from Wrestle Kingdom, what, 16. And, uh, you know, it was interesting to me, the only thing, we've already recapped a lot of this, but the other thing that was interesting to me about what planted the seed of doubt about Jay White being the one to lose this match with Leo and again, we we don't know. And there's all kinds of layers as to how they might book that, depending on who's going to be there who's not. They were playing this to plant the seeds of doubt because Kenta and Phantasmo were exchanging worried looks after that challenge was laid down. Do you notice that? Which is a little bit of foreshadowing. Mm-hmm. Is like, is he okay? Are you sh- sure you want to do that? Like is that the, eyebrow that's the challenge? You him? And, uh, yeah, you're like, huh. And it also could be like, you know, one of these guys might have to leave the damn club if he loses. So uh I, anyway, I that's one that's one of the things about New Japan that I really love is the thought that goes into things like that of the other guys in the faction just going. Is he losing it? Is he losing it? Is he losing it? You know, that, that whole thing. So uh, planting the seeds of doubt in there. But we, <clears throat> we'll see that match a little bit later on. Four-way match, and uh, this is for the King of Pro Wrestling title. Uh, again, uh, the provisional title for 2023. Shingo Takagi ended up as the King of Pro Wrestling for 2022. And uh, the final four uh, from the Rambo at Wrestle Kingdom, Shingo, Rado Khan, Sho, and Toru Yano and uh Shingo won a fairly fun match, quick paced. Uh there wasn't a whole lot of Yano or Show <laughs> or Yano, so Sho, Okan and Shingo were all pretty good. And uh well, Shingo's great and uh, Okan and Sho were pretty good. So with Yano not being too involved, ended up being a pretty good match and uh Shingo Takagi who at first said he wasn't even going to go to Wrestle Kingdom because he wasn't interested in this ends up winning the winning the thing and then challenging Okada of course. So uh, you know, we'll have to say Shingo, I think, has been an improvement with this championship as far as the stipulations go, coming up with creative ways to make these special matches and uh, certainly better than what we saw with the silliness with Yano and Chase Owens and all that stuff. So, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm fine with him winning it again. I kind of thought Great O'Connor was going to take it this year, but I guess he always could in the future. But uh, for right now, it's Shingo again. Your thoughts?
1: Well, you know, they they have deliberately booked this match for the 22nd of January before they do any bigger match with Shingo, leaving it completely up in the air whether he would win or lose this match. I don't know what the stipulation is for their match on the 22nd yet. Uh, If it's not a pinfall match, if it's not a pinfall version of losing this match. I would lean towards Great Ocon winning it in a one-on-one bout. Uh, he's already the Rev Pro Champion, so him holding a belt or holding two belts would be fine. Shingo, you know, staying as the King of Pro Wrestling would be fine. I think it would probably be better for Shingo to be holding the King of Pro Wrestling belt to challenge Okada. But yeah, looks I don't know. I, I, I just don't know like what the mindset is about what belt, who has what, where, why, when. Um, I wasn't expecting Shingo to be winning the the belt all over again after no. 2022, but sure, why not? Uh, put put a belt on Shingo, fine with me. Like I'm not going to be the guy says don't belt Shingo.
0: <laughs> if nothing else, it looks good on the poster when you got a guy, two guys holding up titles and things going at each other in the main event. That's always solid. So, so into it after this after this match, Jeremy, uh, hell froze over. So uh, that's always nice when you're watching a show is uh, you move on and, uh, and hell freezes over right before your eyes. So we knew you're doing process of elimination, right? I'm marking people off. I'm just saying, Hmm, no Okada yet. No Okada yet. And I feel like Okada is going to be on the show. Now, I also noticed that Jeff Cobb and Aaron Hanari had not been on the show. And I just thought, well, maybe Jeff was heading back. You know, I don't know. I don't know what Jeff's travel plans are. Maybe he had to be somewhere and things. I don't even know. And so, I also noticed that Kenny Omega hadn't been out yet, but I didn't expect him to be. Quite frankly, he, I thought his eye might have been swollen shut after that. If Leo Rush couldn't be in this match, you know, maybe Kenny couldn't. So I was very interested when Cobb and Hanari came down. I said, okay, I know who two guys are that aren't on this show, but that's not, and then Kenny came out. As soon as Kenny came out, I knew what was going to happen,
1: right. but
0: I still needed to wait to hear that, sound of that coin drop before i could really process it and believe it but i just thought oh god they're really going to do this aren't they and uh when kenny came out and played it like he didn't know who his partner was which i enjoyed a little bit um i mean we we got kenny omega and Kazushko caught as a tag team jeremy and that was something that was very special here and these two won the two biggest matches of the night they captured uh, titles that they had been chasing there was almost this sense of, you know, hey, uh, you again, but we did it. And they were actually quite friendly with each other. They uh, even uh, clicked belts afterwards. Uh, There was a bit of a wry smile on their faces, like, can you believe we're really doing this? All in character. And uh, they (laughs) defeated the United Empire, Cobb and Hanare. And this was a special moment. I mean, does it mean anything huge storyline? Maybe, maybe not. Even if it doesn't, just the crowd, the gasp, that was in that building when Omega comes out and then you hear Okada's music, you don't get that kind of reaction very often. And you don't get a chance to do something like that in a situation that makes sense very often. And we got it here and, uh, what a terrific main event. The match was good, of course. And, uh, it was really fun seeing these guys work together.
1: I, so what was your reaction? How did you translate Kenny's reaction when he heard the coin drop.
0: I thought, like, what, Kenny, was, what was
1: your like? What was your what did you think he what you were thinking at that moment?
0: Well, I mean, in in character, of course. I mean, everybody knew what yes. was going to happen before, but uh, Kenny played it like, "Huh, I'll be damned. They did it to me." You're like, you know, like, like, you're like, oh, New Japan, you little snakes. You know, you're going to make me team with this guy, and then, uh, but it, it, there was absolutely no. I hate you, Okada. There was no, no. in-character stopping or anything like that. It was just this kind of amused, like, "Huh, that's what you're going to do to me. Okay, all right, fine. You know,
1: like, see, hey, you clever
0: little bastards. You clever little bastards. See, you know, I, you got thought,
1: me. I thought he heard the coin drop, and he yeah. stiffened, like, he's just mm-hmm. like, oh, fuck. And then he <laughs> realized, wait, he's not my opponent. Like, yeah. he's just like... Oh, like, you just had that, like, muscle memory of every time he's been in the ring and, like, that those coins drop, he's in for the fight of his life. And so, Mm -hmm. like, he just had this, like, moment of just, like, just PTSD stiffened, and then he realized, (laughs) like, oh, wait, no, like, this is my partner. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah.
0: There were there were a couple of moments where yeah there were a couple of moments they looked at each other and it's like whew, man I'm glad you're on my side and not against me this time at least at least this once just this once maybe but it'll be nice.
1: I don't know if this is going to be deliberate and this is something we may have to revisit at the post Wrestle Kingdom eighteen review when we get there and I do believe we will get there at one point uh, (laughs) is that Will Ospreay lost his match tonight. And Okada and Omega won theirs. And so there is journey and victory and winners and losers. And I do believe all of that is deliberate. I do believe Jay White losing oh, his yeah. match is deliberate. All of that stuff. There are all stories to be told. Having Kenny Omega and Kazuchiko Okada essentially as a one A one B level of champion, Okada will never want the United States title. It's only the IWGP Heavyweight title for him. But having both of those titles, the amount of work that they've done to rebuild the United States title for the level of like prominence uh, from the point that Osprey like took it on and began having a match with Cassidy and Umino and Naito and, and you know, what have you all the way going to Omega, this is next level. Like we talk a lot about the belt and the value of the belt. The United States title has never been more important than it has been right now. So the conversation then becomes, what do you do next? Who's the guy to take it off of Omega? Um, Okada's not going to want to have anything to do with it. Is Okada going to go unchallenged the entire year and never lose his belt? Like, we are are at the landscape of 2023, and these two guys are at the top of the promotion. One of them isn't even a full-time member of the promotion, and this is where we're at. So... This was definitely an interesting main event. It signaled a new uh, a new era of cooperation between New Japan and outside promotions that I really don't feel like we've had before. You know, Kenny Omega is an executive vice president of AEW Wrestling. He walked away from New Japan four years ago and now he's at the main event again and he is no longer persona non grata. So how much time and how much uh, of Kenny Omega are we going to get in New Japan? Which is honestly, to me, a vastly different Kenny Omega than what we've been getting in AEW. So curious time, my friend, curious time. And the Will Ospreay part of
0: it is fascinating because remember in Wrestle Kingdom 16, he lost the title to Okada. So he's taken a couple of main event level losses at mm-hmm. two consecutive Wrestle Kingdoms, which means the crowning triumph is next. That's the
1: next chapter. The, redemption, the redemption arc. Yeah,
0: so we might get another Omega match, we might get a Nokata match, but I have a feeling that at WrestleMania 18, very early prediction here, uh, very early prediction, but I think at Wrestle Kingdom 18, uh, we're going to be seeing Will Ospreay close uh, at least one night of uh, Kingdom, if, uh, whatever it may yes. be. So now let's look at the landscape here. So what did that tell us? Oh, by the way, uh, it lost mm-hmm. in all that was the fact that Jeff Cobb went after Kev- Kenny Omega and challenged him for the U.S. title. Jeff Cobb we're back versus to Kenny about Omega. That which sounds fantastic. I, I'm really looking forward to that match. So, And, and all of that, that was totally buried under just the, the novelty of Omega and uh, Okada teaming together. So where does that leave us with all the belts? Let's run this down. So IWGP World Heavyweight title. We know Shingo Takagi is going to challenge Kazuchi Okada for that. We'll get to the dates and there in just a minute. The U.S. title, <clears throat> which, as you mentioned, is in a place of prominence underneath the IWGP belt that we really haven't seen since the Intercontinental title. And when Shinsuke Nakamura brought the Intercontinental title up to that level that he did. And so that's going to be Kenny and Jeff Cobb, Junior heavyweight title, Hiromu Takahashi, he was pinned by Yo. Yo is the next top contender. There are a lot of people on the horizon for that, by the way. We still got to get to Kishida, let alone some of these other guys that are coming Mm -hmm. in. So it's going to be a good year for the junior belt, I think. Never open way title, Tamatanga and El Fantasmo has emerged as the next Bullet Club challenger. I have a feeling Tamatanga is going to have to deal with Bullet Club a lot, as long as he's in the New Japan this year, anyway. For the heavyweight tag team titles, TMDK defeated Bishamon at New Year's Dash. So they're the top contenders there. The television title, they made it clear that Tomohiro Ishii is going to go after Zach Sabre Jr. I'm on board for that one. I can, Those two guys mm-hmm. could wrestle every night of the week, and twice on Sunday, I'd watch every match. Junior heavyweight tag, Kanemaru and Doki is the, are the top contenders for Catch 2-2. Yeah, it's TJP and Francesco Akira. And then some of the uh, just basic special matches, grudge matches, however you want to put it. Uh, Jay White and Hikaleo we talked about. Will and Taichi, Will Osprey and Taichi seem to have a little thing going right now. And Shoto Umino and Tetsuya Naito. Some strong stuff there, Jeremy.
1: They have mapped out the entirety of February to give you your money's worth for your $10 when it comes (laughs) to New Japan Pro Wrestling. Uh, You you wait out the dates and times. There are... uh, They have carefully spread out a number of these matches. On the fourth, you got Osprey and Taichi and Umino and Naito. On the fifth, you got Ishii and Saber Jr. in a 15-minute sprint. You're going to have the... uh, And the two tag matches, uh, the world... The uh, Bishamon and TMDK, which of all the title matches that we have coming up, I think TMDK is probably the biggest uh, on-con favorite to win a title of any of the contenders of any of the matches. I think with the reestablishment of TMDK and got Saber Jr. being the face of that, I think that uh, and it's an all hand on deck kind of let's put some emphasis uh, behind the table for now. And so I'm curious to see how TMDK does in that on match, uh, especially since there won't be much of an emphasis on tag team wrestling uh, for New Japan going into the month of March with the New Japan Cup and some yeah. other things going on. Uh, I do think that they would probably be a better face if they were to come stateside as an IWGP Tag Team Champion, uh, TMDK versus uh, Yoshihashi and Goto. That's no that's no slight to Yoshihashi and Goto. I'm a big fan of them and I've been talking them up for a while. But uh, if you were to bring Zach Saber Jr. over and you have TMDK trios matches, something like that, over in AEW or elsewhere, that is uh, that is an attractive fit uh, for for wrestling and exposure for all of them. But uh, so, that does leave a question for your, for me: Where would you put Kenny Omega and Jeff Cobb? Because that has not been announced anywhere.
0: No, and there are a couple of contenders for this. There's San Jose, of course. That's the show that we're going to see, Kyrie and uh, Mercedes Manet. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's a possibility for it. It would be a good place Mm -hmm. to put it. That would be a nice double main right there. Uh, And I'm sure we'd see some other things, too, uh, underneath that would be intriguing. But that would be a good spot for that match. The possibility that AEW and New Japan are going to work together to the point where a US title match could happen on an AEW pay-per-view I think is more realistic than it had been uh, previously. So for me, I think it could either be San I, th- I feel like it's going to be in the United States, uh, you know, that I don't I think agree. that it's yeah, I don't think it's going to be part of one of the Japanese tours. So that leaves me with either San Jose which is for me, 30% maybe uh, on an AEW pay-per-view down the road, but they don't have a ton of those. And Kenny's involved in storylines in AEW that may or may not wrap up by then. So lean in San Jose, but I'm keeping my options open. How
1: about that? So San Jose makes a lot of sense because it's a $20 pay-per-view. And so you have to spend money per view to get this show. Uh, they have not, a, I, I thought Kenny might be spending a Saturday in Japan, uh, the 11th or the 4th or whatever uh, I previously said. Doesn't seem to be happening. So could it be the 18th of San Jose? Maybe. There is also Capital Collision, which is in April. Seems like a long time to go to book a Jeff Conn versus yeah. Kenny Omega match. Yeah. I am not so sure that they are going to do this on Revolution because we are a day out from the trio's uh, finale best of seven between uh, Death Triangle and the Elite. But it does seem that the House of Black is knocking on the door of the next feud for the winner. However, right. Death Triangle and House of Black already had a very significant feud earlier on this year, so it would lead me to think that there would be a trio match between the Elite and House of Black that would probably culminate somewhere around Revolution, which is March 5th. Unfortunately, near the beginning of the New Japan Cup, And the anniversary show, which would also be a nice spot for it to be, but it won't happen because of AEW is the priority for Kenny Omega's career. So with that said, if it's not San Jose, we may end up being in a scenario where it's just a regular Dynamite. And I'm not 100% into the idea of this match being on a Dynamite because I do not believe that the best interest of that title and Jeff cobb's exposure and all of the things really dictate that that's the best place for that match for me personally. But we are running out of places for this show for this match to take place. And and you're and you're right. I mean, it you're right. It and it, it does have a
0: little bit to do with the fact that you're less than a mile away from the building, which doesn't hurt, does it? But it's a uh, no, no, and you get to see. But it's already a stacked show. They're no, already right. like three
1: matches right. that and up like what. Are you just trying to sell people that this is going to be a blow away show and that every yeah. show that they're going to advertise coming forward, this, like Capital Collision is like, must get a ticket? Like, because this is what they offered you in San Jose and you didn't think it was going to be a blow away card. And boy, were you fooled. Like, that's kind of where I am right now that they're just unloading the chamber with all these matches and... That's where we're at. I mean, $20 (laughs) for Omega versus Cobb is, like, you'd pay $20 for that, and you're going to get, if you get it, you're going to get that. Eddie Kingston versus Jay White. Kenta versus Fred Rosser. uh, Mm -hmm. Kyrie versus mercedes Monet, And those are just singles matches that are potentially on that Mm -hmm. card. Like, get out of here. Like, that is, (laughs) is for, for $20 to watch that on TV and however much money I spent to get a ticket in the door, like they have, they have vastly under charge for that card. If that's the case.
0: Well, look at what they're trying to do though. I feel like that could be exactly where they're going because think of what they're doing for their run in North America. They have signed for a few appearances, not a, not a ton, but Mercedes Manet, who is the number one free agent really in North America. Uh, they have Kenny Omega as their U S champion uh, who's one of the top stars for one of the north the two major north american promotions so
1: mm-hmm.
0: um and, and that and actually that's not fair. united states from north america would include mexico and, and cmll is a major promotion as well so just to clarify all that so i i understand sure. the mexico's in north america sorry so american stuff clarifying
1: oh. the new nuance oh, yes yeah, yeah.
0: yes um and, and i love lucha libre but the uh what i'm saying is they seem to be making a very serious run at getting a foothold in north america and by bringing in monet by bringing in uh by working with aew to have omega it makes sense that these united states based pay-per-views might be leveling up from what we saw say on rumble on 44th street or some of the stuff we saw in the in the past these shows might be at a higher caliber because Coming out of the pandemic, maybe New Japan just is starting to feel their oats a little bit and just think we have an opportunity here. And I think you're right. I think San Jose could be the beginning of signaling to people that these are not going to be glorified strong tapings. Nothing wrong with the strong roster, but that these shows are going to be a step ahead of that. So uh, I'm very much looking forward to seeing what they do with that. And I hope that they do stack that card in San Jose and show everybody that these programs over here in the united states you're going to be seeing big stars and very big matches and they're not going to be content to just say here's a couple of the new japan guys you like and some of the strong guys that are you see they're american we have americans you know that understand that we want that new japan experience we want
1: some of that uh
0: and the storylines to carry over so i think uh they're on the right track if that's what they're doing i hope it is
1: yeah and um I, we got to touch on this real quick. We got news this week as well that uh, strong, as we know it, is coming to an end. It's reported to, by Hiroshi Tanahashi, and it kind of goes into the same um, the same kind of avenue that strong was designed to operate as a vehicle for wrestlers to get work and such during the pandemic. And uh, we've we've covered strong before, but it's never been one hundred percent a priority because of the way that it's positioned within the rest of uh, the new Japan world properties. It is, it is adjacent, but it is never quite at the level of a regular new Japan show. So when we have to run down what we, what is important for that week, sometimes new Japan strong doesn't make the cut, but now we have Obari letting us know like, Hey, this version of new Japan strong is no longer like it's untenable this was a pandemic model. And we were filming four hours of shows for three hours worth of, three episodes worth of content week by week by week. And, you know, we can do better production values. We can do a better model. We can coordinate better. And that gives me a lot of hope with Ghetto and other people booking where, you know, we saw a little bit of it with uh, with Leo and Alan Angels versus Jay White and ELP on Strong This Week. Uh, building up into the uh, Loser League Japan match. This is all playing a factor into it. They can do better than what they're doing now. New Japan Strong mm-hmm. was among my favorite hours of wrestling to watch, but it was not because of the production value and it was not because of the way it looked or the way it sounded in some ways. I love Ian Rickabani. Sometimes Alex Kalislav wasn't exactly my favorite, but you know, this brand of taping has Kevin Kelly. You know, they even. Just kind of phased away from Ian Riccoboni already. They have a different vision in mind. I do think New Japan Strong is coming back in some way, shape, or form. I think it's a little curious that Kenta is getting a title shot around the same time that New Japan Strong is ending. And that's not to say that Fred Rosser hasn't done a fantastic job uh, in his run. He just did not seem to get the caliber of opponents to raise his stock the way that I thought it needed to. Uh, We shall see what happens with Kenta. But New Japan Strong is away from my understanding it'll probably be coming back and i think that is a good thing
0: and we're going to take a look at these uh things coming up and we'll be covering that of course on this show we also want to mention like some of these matches here shingo takagi and the great okan on january 22nd that's new beginning in nagoya of course there are several new beginning shows there are A few of uh, Road to New Beginning shows, and that leads up to uh, Sapporo on the 4th and 5th. So, New Beginning in Sapporo, two nights in Sapporo uh, Asprey Taichi, Shodomino Naito, Ishii, and Zack Sabre Jr., Yo, and Hiromo Takahashi. There'll be more road shows in uh, Tochigi and Naga- Nagano, Nagano, excuse me, Nagano, Steven. Uh, then, New Beginning in Osaka. Uh, now, New Beginning in Osaka on the 11th is a biggie. That has Okada against Takagi, it has Tamatanga and Phantasmo, J-White Hikaleo, Loser Leaves Japan, the uh, Never Open Weight Six Man, that's basically a supercard. Hiroshi Tanahashi and Kenta, which will have its own subtext coming off of Kenta being badly injured in that uh, Wrestling Kingdom match they had over a year ago. Master Wado and Taiji Ishimori on that one. So there's a lot there. And then, uh, of course, Battle in the Valley on the the 18th, we were just talking about. And from there, it goes into Fantastica Mania. When the CMLL stars come over, that's always a fun tour. So there's another show that, of course, we're going to talk about. And that is uh, Wrestle Kingdom 17 Part 2. Now, they're doing something very similar to what they did last year, where it is a New Japan versus Noah card. And that's going to be taking place in the same building they had the Yokohama Arena where they had it last year. And once again, we we saw the angle at Wrestle Kingdom where the Congo faction led by Kenoh uh, and his group uh, confronted Los Ingobernables de Japón in the interview area. They will be in a succession of singles matches. There'll be some interesting stuff on here. Uh, one thing that I was uh, intrigued by was it, uh, yeah, Kojima, Yano, Tanahashi teaming with Segura from uh noah against uh naomi marufuchi kenta phantasmo and ghetto so that's even a mixed uh, the teams are mixed i like when they do that yeah me too and now we don't we're not going to get to that here today because we have a japan history expert a noah expert and uh, somebody who's going to guide us through some of these unfamiliar names if you're only watching new japan and uh, next week, Justin Nipper will be in my seat. Uh, and if you know uh, the Fight Game Media Network, I hope you do. Will
1: he literally be at your house in that chair? <laughs> yeah.
0: Yes, he will. Okay. But no,
1: uh, no, no, he's
0: not going to be in my chair. Yes, yeah, so I'm going to let him in. I'm going to give him the key code. Now, uh, Justin hosts uh, Write This Down with Fumi Saito, which is one of the best wrestling history podcasts on covering anything, and let alone just Japanese wrestling. I listen to it. I seriously listen to it every single time it comes out. And uh, he, he knows all about Noah. He knows all about Japanese wrestling history. He's going to put a lot of things into context. I am going to be on vacation again. Uh, I you know just got back from uh, I was donating my time and uh, money to needy casinos in Las Vegas a couple weeks ago. But uh, this time I'm going to be on a, a little bit of a cruise, so I will be out of pocket, and then uh, Justin is going to sit in. He's perfect uh, timing for that because he's going to tell us all about Wrestle I Kingdom was super 17. excited.
1: I was super excited that he said yes because not yeah. only is he an expert, I do believe that he has been employed by Pro Wrestling Noah.
0: <laughs> yeah, he is. Yeah, no, he does a lot yes. of the translation. I know that, and he does yes. some other things for him. So, yeah, he is yeah,
1: absolutely a- the guy for us to have on this show for a week to talk about Noah and to let us all understand the nuances and where the Noah angles are coming from going into this match, because we're all versed on the new Japan stuff. uh, But I don't know anything about Noah. I'll be (laughs) honest with you. Uh, He's going to help us along and contextualize, what this feud means and why it's important for the main eventers to win their matches and what uh, where they have been coming from from the most recent feuds. All the things that make you feel like you can come into this show and understand why it's important that these matches are taking place. That's our goal for next week.
0: There is a lot of talent in NOAA. It's a really uh, excellent promotion. Just before the pandemic, I was I was lucky enough to take a trip to Japan. I watched a night of their N1 tournament, which is their version of the G1. And uh, so I was very proud that that year I saw the G1 in Dallas and then got to see a night of the N1 at Corican Hall that same year. And I was really impressed with the show. It didn't surprise me that it was good. I know, like, you know, Mara Fucci's fantastic, Segura's, there's uh, Legends, Keno is wonderful. Uh, there are a lot of really good wrestlers in Noah right there. So And this match, which is basically a rematch of an eight-man tag from last year's Wrestle Kingdom between the Congo Faction and LIJ, To me, that was my favorite match on that show. I thought everybody was just having a blast, so they're going to break that one down into singles, and uh, we should get a lot of good stuff out of that. So that is what's coming up there. Now, we mentioned earlier that New Japan Strong is coming to a close. We're still keeping track of the show, though, and Jeremy, you said that you watched it, and you have a little report for us on what's been on the program recently.
1: Yeah, so uh, we have a big match coming next week, which is the one that I'm going to circle, circle, dot, dot, and say you need to not miss this one, which is Jeff Cobb versus Bad Dude Tito. And given the products of United Empire and TMDK lately, I think that that one is probably a can't miss on this last episode. Jeff Cobb even cut a promo. You don't see Jeff Cobb cutting promos all too often. But he did, in fact, cut a promo on bad dude Tito, uh, reminding him that Jeff Cobb was the first bad dude around. So looking forward to that one. We also had two matches. There were just two matches on this whole thing. Uh, we had the tag match with Higaleo and Alan Angels, Alan Angels that I previously mentioned versus ELP and Jay White. Uh, the Bolt Club won that match. Uh, the win off of Alan Angels, as you'd be surprised. When I was watching this match, I kind of thought Alan Angels might be a really good member of the Bullet Club, and I don't know if that is something that they could do down the line, but uh, there's not a whole lot going on with Alan Angels, but I definitely got this kind of cocky vibe that if they're looking for new members down the line, that that's somebody that maybe they want keep to keep in mind, if, if at all. And then We had a, how do we call this? A number one contender for the Strong Open Weight Championship, also known as the Strong Survivor Match. There were a number of people in this match Jacob Austin Young, Che Cabrera, Che Cabrera, Keita, Guillermo Rosas, Adrian Quest, Cody Chun, Blake Christian, Mysterioso, the DKC, Bateman. Wheeler, Yuta, Christopher Daniels, Mascara Dorada, JR Kratos, Rocky Romero, and Kenta. So the way that it worked was over the top rope until the final four, much like a Rambo. But the Rambo, it didn't end. This one was a commissioner falls to a finish. The final four were Blake, Christian, Wheeler, Yuta, Christopher Daniels, and Kenta, in which kenta took the win after eliminating the other three were eliminated and now he is the number one contender to fred rosser at the battle of the valley in san jose now that it has aired i consider this to be an official match made even if it's not officially listed on the new japan page
0: well, there you have it. So that's New there Japan strong, it. leading to the leading to the big battle in the valley. So uh, Kenta and Fred Roster should be a pretty good match overall. So.
1: I'm gonna be really excited for that. I think it's interesting <laughs> that we have a uh, uh, Hiroshi Tanahashi uh, Kenta match about a week before. So I kind mm-hmm. of expect uh, Kenta to be coming out of that one looking strong in some way, shape, or form. Uh, spoiler alert, not. Spoiler alert. <laughs>
0: Keep an eye on that as uh, New Japan Strong, as we know it, winds down. So, now, wanted to go into a little bit of history here. We have time this week. We mentioned before that Tatsumi Fujinami, his 50th anniversary in pro wrestling, that was what he was celebrating all year, and he made a couple of New Japan appearances there, including a match against Hiroshi Tanahashi. He was at the Antonio Inoki Memorial six-man match at Wrestle Kingdom. And I wanted to get into his history a little bit because sadly his 50th anniversary was overshadowed completely. First of all, he had the new Japan overall 50th anniversary, which Fujinami kind of tied his career to. And I'll talk about that in a second, but then Antonio Inoki passed away. And then he really got overshadowed because all the attention obviously was on Inoki who is on Mount Rushmore in Japanese wrestling, maybe even pro wrestling altogether. So with that, fujinami has had an amazing career and he's been going through this whole year he's not retiring he's 69 years old but he was a part of the enoki memorial match and he's had these big events and he shows up in new japan he's an absolute new japan legend and some of the newer folks involved with new japan that have picked it up maybe since new japan world came about and things might not know exactly what tatsumi fujinami means so i wanted to go over Some of his history here. And again, uh, our guest next week, Justin Nipper, uh, he and Fumi Saito did a deeper dive on this. You can listen to an entire episode about that Uh, and I'll write this down. But we're going to go over a little bit about Fujinami. And we're going to start with something very pro wrestling-ish, which is uh, it was his 50th anniversary in 2022, except it wasn't. (laughs) He actually started in (laughs) 1971. He actually started in 1971. So it was his 51st year in wrestling. Uh, He began the JWA, and that was the company, of course, that uh, preceded both All Japan and New Japan, the company that Inoki and Shohai Baba were the top stars for uh, in the JWA. And uh, he started uh, there in 1971. This was when Inoki and Baba were both starting to think about leaving. There were some issues with management of JWA there. Uh, Of course, Inoki was fired at the tail end of 1971 because management got wind that he was going to do exactly what he ended up doing, which is forming his own promotion. And Baba stayed a little while longer, but also recognized the writing on the wall and left to form All Japan. Fujinami was one of inoki's guys early so when he was in jwa in 1971 though his career was similar to that of a young lion he was mostly on early in the card and doing jobs for instance he went 0 and 17 in 1971 for the jwa he was cutting his teeth learning the ropes so to speak <clears throat> he followed inoki to new japan Bit of a trivia note here, Jeremy. This is why he kind of ties his career so much to New Japan to the point that he kind of fudged his 50th anniversary a little bit. He was in the first New Japan pro wrestling match ever. The very first opening match of the very first card was at the Oda Ward Gym, uh, which is why the anniversary show is often there. About 5,000 people attended in 1972. And El Furioso. Defeated Tatsumi Fumijinami in 4 minutes and 20 seconds in the opener. And New Japan Wrestling was off and running. Uh, just as a little uh, side note to that. Uh, Antonio Noki actually did the job in the main event. Lost to Carl Gotch. So Carl uh, Gotch got the win in the very first main event. Hmm. But in 1972, he's there with New Japan. And he began moving up in the world. Of course, very early in his run, he lost a few matches. Uh, but in fact, he went uh, ended up going 64 and So you see, as the year went along, New Japan started to bring him up the cards a little bit. They weren't treating him like a young lion there. He lost his first three, but then he got his first career win, March 16th, 1972, against Hiroaki Hamada, who ended up being Grand Hamada, who's a junior heavyweight legend of his own in New Japan. He was a junior heavyweight through most of his career. He had a little bit of an excursion himself. In 1975, he went to Germany, uh, he also we did some work for UWA in Mexico, which was a, a company that no longer exists, but was a major Lucha Libre promotion then. in He spent 1976 and 1977 in mostly Florida and for Jim Crockett promotions in the Carolinas and Virginia. So uh, at this point, he's getting his excursion. He's going uh, back and forth. Uh, now, he's, he's, he went back to Japan, but... He ended up working for the McMahons, and here's how this happened here. On January 23rd, 1978, he's working for the WWF. So, obviously, we're talking Florida, Mid-Atlantic, and WWF. These are three of the very biggest, and at this time, especially in the 70s, uh, best, most lucrative territories in the whole country. Uh, And so he, he was making his mark. Like, you know, if he had gone to Florida or Crockett and stunk it up, Uh, word would have gotten around real fast. Instead, he was employed by all three of these very major uh, wrestling companies. So he was showing a lot of promise pretty early. WWF had a junior heavyweight title back in the 60s, and they left it alone. They didn't touch it. It was collecting dust. They resurrected it and put it on Jose Estrada, who was a pretty good wrestler. He was mostly a mid-carder in there, uh, mostly putting over guys uh, except other low uh, on the card, guys, but Jose Estrada was a very capable wrestler, but they brought him into Madison Square Garden, and they had Tatsumi Fujinami win this WWF junior heavyweight title. If this sounds familiar, it's because it is, because Ricky Dozan, of course, uh, won uh, a title uh, from Luthez in the United States, brought it back to Japan. Antonio Inoki got the NWF title. Johnny Powers brought it to Japan. It's this long pattern of this person kind of went overseas and conquered a foreign champion. And now he's coming home as the top guy. It's a story that they told a lot in Japanese wrestling. uh, So that, you know, put their guy over as someone who went overseas and captured a title. And now he's, he's bringing it home. And so he went back to Japan with it. And he was the main guy for the WWF junior heavyweight title for the late seventies until he went heavyweight in 1981 he went heavyweight in 1981 and vacated the title and they brought it back with Tiger Mask and Dynamite Kid and that feud. So that's how they transitioned it over there. So the title that uh, Tiger Mask won, beating Dynamite Kid to capture the vacated title, it was because they were ready to move to Tiger Mask in that spot and bring Tatsumi Fujinami up to heavyweight. It's something that has happened with several uh, junior heavyweight stars over the years, of course. And so That was an early iteration of that. So he was the number one junior heavyweight for a long time. Then came Tiger Mask. Everyone realized what they had with Tiger Mask. It's time for Fujinami to become a heavyweight draw. Uh, Let's see. Uh, Yeah, he, uh, he went to a bunch of places also in 1978, by the way, like NWA Hollywood. So he was wrestling at the Olympic Auditorium, which was a good territory at the time with uh, Chavo Guerrero and Roddy Piper in a big feud. He wrestled in Calgary for Stu Hart, Stampede Wrestling as well. Uh, and so uh, that was his uh, his time to come up as a heavyweight. When he came up as a heavyweight, he was very quickly in the top mix. Now, Inoki was always the biggest star. But Tatsumi Fujinami and Kengo Kimura were other top Japanese baby faces—the guys that would clash with all these foreign heels that would come into New Japan—and uh, so that those three guys were always part of the top mix. With Anoki being first among equals, you know, Anoki was always the top guy. But uh, Fujinami and Kengo Kamura were all major draws, and especially in the early '80s. Enoki slowed his schedule down i mean the guy was running the entire company he was also getting a little bit older and he wasn't making every single town so guys like kimura and fujinami had to be the workhorses they were the guys mm-hmm. that were in even the small towns and the house shows and they were the guys that were there six nights a week whereas inoki maybe worked the big ones you know, osaka tokyo maybe sapporo so at this point he was becoming really part of the fabric of uh, new japan And in the mid-80s, he was really getting a lot of uh, respect here. For instance, uh, Wrestling Observer Newsletter Awards. He was the best technical wrestler in 1985, 1986, and 1988. He was listed as the most outstanding wrestler in 1988. So throughout that time, he always finished high in the MSG League tournament or the IWGP tournament, which were the predecessors to the G1 back then. Uh, He always, he and Kengo Kimura especially, or he and Antonio Inoki would team up and do very well in the tag team tournament. So this was a guy that was always considered one of the top stars in the company and drew a lot of money. 1988 was a huge year for him. So there were no real singles titles in the early days of, of New Japan. Of course, Enoki held that world martial arts title that he would defend against various people. The NWF title was kind of around, and it wasn't really. They kind of retired that. Enoki became the first IWGP champion, uh, having won the IWGP tournament and then made it a regular title in 1987. But he injured his foot in the May of 1988, and then Fujinami ended up beating Big Van Vader to win the vacant title. So now Fujinami was the IWGP heavyweight champion. Uh, he actually vacated the belt only 19 days later after having a no contest with Riki Choshu. So Riki Choshu, always the, the rebel, he was kind of the first cool heel in Japanese wrestling a little bit. Uh, okay. he, he he didn't really cheat, but when everybody else... He had the vibe. Other, every other Japanese wrestler was very buttoned down and had the nice short haircut and things. Ricky Shoshu grew his hair long. Uh, He and his crew would not wear the track suits that all the guys, if you watch old uh, matches from either all Japan or new Japan, the undercard wrestlers are always surrounding the ring, wearing the company track suits and uh, Shoshu and his crew they're, they were portrayed as the rebels where they refused to do that. They wore their own gear. Uh, they were a little <laughs> looser uh, with the rules, that type of thing. So he and Fujinami were the perfect foils for one another because, you know, Choshi was this kind of, uh, you know, the kind of thumb his nose. Of the rabble authority rouser. And whereas, <laughs> yeah. And Fujinami was the classic uh, company representative, you know. So, uh, yeah. Anyway, uh, Fujinami ended up winning the IWGP title back on June 24th, 1988. And uh, then it was vacated so they could put it up in a tournament at the Tokyo Dome, uh, which Vader won. So uh, that was something that happened a lot in Japan uh, where they would just vacate a title and put it up in a tournament, which seems unfair to the champion to me. But there you go. In fact, all Japan used to do that with their tag team title every single year. Like whoever was the tag team champions, they would just vacate the title. And then whoever won the tag team tournament would be the champions. So I guess it was, I guess it's a way to do it without giving, uh, doing any jobs, right? So always important back in those days interesting note for uh fujinami he was the first person jeremy ever to hold the nwa world heavyweight title and the iwgp heavyweight title at the same time so two uh, titles
1: at the same time
0: that's right tatsumi two belts uh so on march 4th 1991 he won the iwgp title back march 21st he defeated rick flair in Starcade in tokyo to win the nwa Ooh. title he held both now in the us uh of course we were moving into the wcw era and, mm-hmm. that, and wcw was moving away from the nwa so stay with me on this this gets weird uh in the, this is the weird States, one right <laughs> yeah wcw said that flair was the wcw champion they left out the part that wcw and the nwa were now separate titles so flair had been the nwa world champion for a while well then wcw just start calling the wcw champion we're actually two different belts so <laughs> they said that flair had retained the wcw title because fujinami threw him over the top rope so now so now we've got it separated so in japan fujinami won the belt there it is he's the nwa world champion in uh, United States, they said, well, Flair's still the WCW champion because there was no title change because Fujinami threw him over the top rope. They met again at Super Brawl 1. So Katsumi Fujinami headlined an American pay-per-view in 1991 uh, just off of being Ric Flair's opponent, basically. So at Super Brawl 1, this was called a WCW title of defense where Ric Flair was just going for revenge for Fujinami throwing him over the top rope, I guess. It, was, it wasn't really explained too much. But in Japan, it was a unification match that Flair won. So that's how they got the, the NWA title off of him there. But for a while, he, got, he had the, the honor of being the first guy to hold two belts at once. He ended up winning the IWGP title two more times, uh, beating Shinya Hashimoto for it in 1994 before losing it back to Hashimoto in a quick one-month uh, switch. So, yeah, and then in 1998, he won it again, beating uh, at the Inoki Retirement Show. They decided that the big happy ending for the Inoki Retirement Show was to put the belt on uh, one of the people closest associated to him. So he defeated Kensuke Sasaki. He ended up losing that back to Masachono on uh, August 8th of that year, 1998. So, staying busy, though, Fujinami realizing that he was starting to age out of the main event role a little bit became president of New Japan Pro Wrestling in 1999. He held that position until 2004, and then he ended up leaving the company entirely in 2006. So from there, he formed a company that uh, had a, a different name, uh, but now is called Tradition. So he was the dragon. That was his nickname, Sumi Fujinami, the dragon, uh, before Shingo Takage was. So uh, And they call it Tradition. So you kind of morph the word dragon into Tradition. And uh, it still, to this day, runs occasional shows with mostly uh, contracted talent from various companies uh, that are being allowed to do guest shots because Fujinami has such uh, respect from the major companies there. And they have some of their own people, too. And uh, it's never been a full-time touring promotion, but they always do a few shows a year there for tradition. So you might hear of a New Japan talent doing a tradition show. If you're wondering what that is, that's uh, Tatsumi Fujinami's company. So uh, still wrestles in uh, guest spots with various promotions. Uh, He has wrestled every single year except 2004 since 1991. 2004, he really focused on being the New Japan president, and he missed that whole year. John Cena just narrowly avoided that fate by doing that match on SmackDown. (laughs) But he's 69 years old. The man's still wrestling. So uh, in 2022 alone, Jeremy, he worked for New Japan, all Japan tradition, of course. Dragons Gate, Gate, a company called Heat Up, which I don't even—I'm not even aware of. Kyushu Pro and Zero One. So there you go. Uh, how many? And, uh, how many
1: Dragon Screw whips do you think he pulled off last year?
0: I mean, I no—the mean, I mean, uh, over/under on that's got to be twenty or 30, twenty-five. Uh, I'll take
1: if it's thirty, I'll take the over.
0: You <laughs> <laughs> pulled off like he pulled off tough. like seven in twenty
1: twenty-three already. <laughs>
0: He has a limited set these days, let's be honest. The <laughs> man's 69 years old. So. But I wanted to bring that up because a lot of the moves with the word dragon in it are associated with him for good reason. He pioneered a lot of them. So the dragon suplex, which Kenny Omega has turned into a snap dragon that he does in you know, very,
1: such uh, a very
0: fast twist, beautiful move. But the dragon suplex, that was his. Uh, the dragon screw, the leg whip, of course, which Kaiji Mudo and Tanahashi and numerous others have used to such great effect. That was the Tatsumi Fujinami move. And uh, Fumi Saito uh, even said that he believes from his Lucha Libre uh, days that he brought the Topei to Japan, the dive through the ropes, out of the ring to the opponent on the outside. So talk about someone who's had a lot of influence on pro wrestling in Japan. There you go. Uh, Also one of Bret Hart's uh, biggest idols. Just a little trivia there. Bret Hart always considered him uh, one of his personal heroes. And, of course, he worked for stampede in the late 70s when Brett was very early in his career. So uh, just a guy that was one of the junior heavyweight pioneers for the company, moved into the heavyweight division and carried the company by way of being that main event guy when Anoki didn't always hit the the small towns and things, just the, the guy that was just there every single night. He got his biggest run in the mid to very late 80s. When they really made him the focal point of the promotion, uh, this was after uh, Enoki had pretty much moved out of the spotlight altogether. And so had Kimura. Uh, Kengo Kimura had uh, also kind of aged out of that spot, and, and Fujinami just kept trucking all the way into the early 90s. And he was sort of the bridge to that Three Musketeers era you see at the very end of his career, him winning and losing the title with guys like Shinya Hashimoto. Masachono and Kaiji Mudo and that brought them into that boom period into the 90s when they were doing quarterly sold out shows at the Tokyo Dome so all that uh, doesn't happen without Tatsumi Fujinami so uh, just wanted to give you a little primer right there is you know who is this guy we haven't had time to talk about him on the show Uh, that's the guy that was in that Inoki retirement match and uh, you know barring uh, any kind of health scare which I hope does not happen we'll probably say Tatsumi Fujinami wrestle Kingdom 18 at 70.
1: So I got one last thing before we wrap this up for you this week. What's that? Uh, I I got a question for you. I want to know one bold prediction by you about New Japan in any way, shape, or form for the next year. Do you have any bold predictions? I still think,
0: okay, I'll tell you what, I'll go back to one I mentioned earlier. I think Wrestle Kingdom 18 ends with Will Ospreay standing in the ring triumphant after the biggest win of his career over either Okada or Kenny Omega. I really think that this year is going to be similar to what we saw when we had to watch Okada run around with balloons for a few months. You know, like, they're tearing this guy down. He's going to be depressed. He's at his lowest point. I think this year is going to be about rebuilding Will Ospreay and taking that spot as the top foreign wrestler in the whole company. And especially if, 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 if Jay White is leaving, that is going to be more important than ever. And uh, I, I think that this is the year, the this storyline will continue all the way to 18, Will Ospreay's ascension. What about you?
1: I am I am 100% with you that Will Ospreay wins uh Wrestle Kingdom 18 main event. Probably against Okada, which is going to be my bold prediction. I okay. think, I think New Japan Cup will Osprey come close, yet does not win the New Japan Cup and ends up winning the G One. Although mm. close, yet so far is getting the thing. But conversely, I don't think Okada loses one title match this year, and he holds oh, the man. IWGP Heavyweight Title all the way through Wrestle Kingdom 18.
0: Interesting. Okay.
1: I, well, I think I mean, we... we got two completely different stories. I think we got a guy coming close, yet so far each time, and then you got a guy that can't be beat.
0: All right. Well, we're putting it on the internet. It's going to come up and bite us in the ass if we're wrong. So here put it go. on the board. <laughs> there <laughs> it is. It's out there. It's out there, by craig All right. Anything else, Jeremy? You want to cover before we sign off for this week? And you can uh, look forward to Justin Nipper in my spot next week.
1: Uh, I think just the social, Jerry on it. Twitter uh patreon five dollars a month fight game media youtube channel subscribe to the youtube channel you don't even have to pay any money for that just just click and subscribe like go on to speaking of strong style go down the line like every video that we do really appreciate it if you have time go like all the other videos as well i totally get it if you want to do that a lot of great work on the channel gotta tell you but if you go on and like all of our videos and subscribe to the whole channel the whole I will personally, if I ever meet you, say thank you. Conway. <laughs> and, you of
0: course, and of course, we're also going to be giving this a try as a podcast. So that's going to be uh, something you can look for in the future is uh, this show uh, in your ears there as a podcast feed as well, wherever you find your podcast that is uh, coming up. So uh, feel free to find it there. Give us a nice rating. Say nice things about us. We appreciate the nice things. So <laughs> with that said, uh, he's Jeremy Finestone. I am Stephen Conway. Thank you again for uh, spending your time with us here at speaking of strong style. And we'll be back next week, wrestle kingdom 17 preview in Yokohama with Justin Nipper until then, Jeremy and Steven saying, we'll see you very soon. Thanks again.
1: I'll be here next week. I don't know where you're going.